Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, 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 one and all, to another rendition of the official Redbird Rants podcast. This is episode number four, season two. I'm going to be your host tonight. My name's Tito, and I'm joined by our contributor, Larry Levin. Larry, how are you? I'm great, Tito. Very happy to be here. Lots to talk about. Awesome. Awesome. Great. We've got plenty for you to talk about. I know that. And tonight, we are joined by our newest podcast contributor and contributor to the Redbird Rants site, and that is none other than Mr. Gene Bonds. Gene, how are you today? I'm doing good, guys. How are you? We are doing great, and if you guys don't know, obviously, Gene is Crash STL on Twitter. Uh, a lot of you guys follow him, and I sure do. He's a great guy, and he has a lot on his mind about the Cardinals, and he is ready to roll tonight. We are going to be joined the by check is in the mail, Tito. Say what? <laughs> the check is in the mail, Tito. Thank you for the, the kind words. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we are going to be joined by Dan Campbell a little bit later on. He's just running slightly behind. But, guys, let's go ahead and jump into it because we've got plenty to talk about, some breaking news, obviously, in the MLB, and then we'll go ahead and get into the Cardinals a little bit later. But let's start with that breaking news. The, uh, the Kansas City Royals just signed Mike Moustakis to a one-year deal for $6.5 million. And, Larry, I'm just going to go right at you. What is your initial reaction to this? Uh, uh, it's crazy, man. I mean, this guy is not only a starting third baseman, but he's a starting third baseman who slugged well over 30 homers last year. He's a fine fielder. Uh, he's been part of a championship team. He's, uh, you know, he's a in, in any other in any other off season, you know, he would have received a multi-year contract for much more per year. And not only did he just get a one-year contract, but he got a one-year contract at six and a half million. So, you know, when you look at uh, how late we are in in the off season and who's left, uh, this doesn't bode well for. Those who are left. Now, I saw that Cargo is expected to re-sign with the Rockies as early as tomorrow. Um, you know, and I don't know what that. I don't know if there's been talk yet about what that deal is. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, things have fallen off the proverbial cliff for uh, the free agents. Crash, what do you think? Um, well, first of all, I'm just catching up on all the <clears throat> on all the the stuff that just recently happened um, with it. One year, six point five. With a is that a team option? Right. For a second year? No, that's it's a straight it's a straight deal. Just <laughs> straight one deal. year, that's it. <laughs> uh, like I said, I'm I'm just catching up. I'm kind kind of scrolling through everything. It sounds like sounds like he's kind of gambling, like uh, Tommy Pham is. Yeah, and, and I think p- part of the thing here is is 
you know, no nobody was going to it, – it's obvious that nobody was going to throw the money towards him. Um, nobody thought that he was worth more than 17 point, you know, whatever million dollars, and that's why, you know, he was betting on himself. But here's the crux of the situation for the Royals. They don't get a compensation pick. They're not going to be able to offer him another qualifying offer after this year. So right. maybe this actually bodes well for Mike Moustakis and his suitors next year because he's not tied to anything. So they're just going to have to worry about the money aspect of that. So, Dan, I know that you're with us here. Dan, Royal signed Mike Moustakis to a one-year deal, $6.5 million. What's your initial reaction to it? Well, first, hi, everybody. I'm glad I joined soon enough before the show could be wrecked by you all without me here monitoring. <laughs> um, that's a joke for Crash. Um, it, uh-huh. looks like it, it looks like there's a $15 million mutual option. For yeah, the I see year, that now. That's just coming through. Which, uh, obviously, Moustakis will not agree to. My reaction is, because you all made the best points uh, already, my reaction is the big loser here, which I have been saying all off season, it is the clients of Scott Boris and right. my proxy Scott Boris. Scott Boris has screwed the pooch this off season, unlike any we've ever seen before. It's going to be overlooked because some of his top guys will still get paid at least close to what they thought they might get paid or what the market will will value them at. But Scott Boris badly misread this market. He advised his client to not accept the qualifying offer, which, frankly, in in this one year, cost his client three times the contract value, just about. So he he and Moustakis got bad advice from a guy who has failed to adapt to this year's market um, I think people familiar with how things are going this offseason would say, well, you could have seen this coming, maybe not to the extent that it, it has happened, but you know, this is a bad read by a guy who is supposed to be more familiar with this market than anybody, and that, that's my primary reaction. Hey Dan. hey, Dan, how do you look at this if you're a second- or third-tier player and you're a Scott Boris client? Do you, do, you, do you scratch your head and wonder if that's where you want to be next year? Well, it's a good question, and I think what happens is you guys have all heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Scott Boris clients almost never sign extensions before free agency. Right. Remember that? Those guys are going to look at things like the Paul DeYoung deal and, uh, you know, like the Andrelton Simmons extension and all of these you know, first, second, or pre-ARB players who are signing extensions and are guaranteeing money in their pocket, mm-hmm. the players are going to look at those deals and think, man, if I end up like Moustakis on the end of this, I want to sign my extension now, even if I don't get as much as I think I'm worth. I want to bank that money now. So that, that's what I think. But, I, you know, I'm really not sure. We're in a little bit of uncharted territory here. <clears throat> Hey, Crash, I want to get your opinion on this. Do you think Dan has a point here when he says that, you know, you know, uh, Scott Boris pretty much screwed himself over and his clients? Absolutely. I think he – I think I tweeted earlier today that he, he's just wanting to, to back up the Brinks truck and just, just do what they've been doing. They want the, the seven-year deals and, 
I just don't see it happening anymore. I think I think that's all coming to an end, and we're we're seeing it obviously. Yeah, and I think the interesting part here is if you are an agent and you're not reading the market correctly, and this kind of you know goes to the the point that you know the question Larry was making. If you're a player and you see that Scott Boris is not conforming or adjusting to the time, something big is going to happen with this next CBA in baseball. Something crazy may happen because this is going to reflect really badly on the teams, and therefore the players' union will go after this. I'm kind of nervous. Does does anybody else feel like – I'm because too, of I, this uh, off season, that there is a potential for a strike on its way. Yeah, I'm not sure when it's going to happen, but I, I think eventually, I think I think it's going to come to a head. Yeah. I anybody mean, else have that feeling? I mean one. I mean one thing that comes to mind, and, and you know, I think Dan is probably the more expert on these things than than any of the rest of us. But but it sure seems to me that. That you know the um, uh, the compensation coming back for free agents is is going to be something that the players are going to want to just eviscerate. It seems to me. I mean, I know it got watered down over this last negotiation, but but boy, oh boy, if there's a you know now they can safely say that there's a a definite break on the on the market, you know, and that's a contributing factor. There are certainly other contributing factors. I mean, it seems to me that what's one thing the teams are saying is we're not going to play the game anymore of signing a guy for two or three extra years who's going to be a drag on our on our um, payroll and roster in the out years when he's older and there's no guarantee that he's going to be good. Um, so, so that's going to, you know, that certainly is something that we're seeing now. I mean, even even if we see Arietta and Cobb and Lynn sign, it's doubtful to me we're going to see them sign for, you know, more than three years at this point. So the length of contracts, you know, is shortening, and I don't think we're going to see – I'd be surprised if we see any significant draft picks coming back um, to the team that loses a free agent in the next CBA. Dan, what do you think about that? Well, this is a labor issue, and as we've discussed a few times on both the podcast and in some articles, the current CBA expires in 2021. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that the players have no rights, but the union as a body through which the players must operate, at least in the first instance, to have any relief from any situation, is incredibly limited if they're not in a period of negotiation. Their leverage is reduced to a very small amount. And what they would have to do is organize a massive collective action and say, hey, everybody stop getting paid so we can leverage our strength and numbers to change the deal, which, by the way, we got for you guys. It's a tough tough situation to be in. So really, to me, it's an unrealistic thing to expect that the players are going to strike before the bargaining is up for renegotiation in 2021. I think unless it gets really bad, and I don't think people are to the point of strike bad yet, all the union can do is go through the grievance process, which anybody who followed Deflategate with Tom Brady understands that the grievance process is not a very good one. 
Only after exhausting the grievance process could, emphasis on could, as in it would become an option, could the players for any potential grievance for which they weren't satisfied with the result, could they file a lawsuit? So um, I think it's highly unlikely that there's a collective action or even an individual action taken because those players who do that would be blacklisted by the teams unofficially. What you could right, see, and at that point, you could you could make your argument for collusion, which I think possibly that's where some of the agents and players' mindset might be already. Um, yeah, that that's a really interesting point, Tito, because although they would have a, a problem with standing to sue, uh, which is a legal doctrine that is too boring, as Larry knows, for me to get into on this call, but. Uh, the agents might be the impetus to a lawsuit. That's a, sort of a drastic measure in these situations, and there's a huge amount of deference to the deal that was bargained by the parties. They'd actually not be able to go to court. It's not as easy as football uh, to get to court as it is uh, in baseball. So I would expect in 2021 when this deal is up, you're going to see a lot of very contentious fighting. The players are going to want to get rid of the salary cap which, by the way, is what the luxury tax is, and anyone who thought it wasn't was not thinking very wisely. Uh, the players are probably going to try to leverage this in such a way that says if you want to keep your luxury tax, then you need to make free agency earlier. No longer will teams have six years of control over a player and then be able to screw them on the back end in free agency because um, that's what's currently happening, and that's where the players will, will be pushing the leverage. And I think the teams will have some flex there because they know they've been getting a windfall for a long, long time on player control. See, that's where I'm gonna that's where I'm gonna disagree a little bit because I think I think the I think the owners will put their foot their feet down on the on the six years because I just I just think they need to recoup their investment. I think they'd be, they'd be more willing to let go of the draft pick <clears throat> compensation than they would on the length of of um, the amount, the, the length of years that they have control, but that's just me. Well, I don't think you're wrong, Larry. But uh, just getting rid of the draft pick compensation, if I'm the union, that's yeah. not good enough. Right, may not be enough. Yep. Yeah. So okay. So one last question for you guys before we go ahead and get into the actual stuff that we need to do. Um, <laughs> odds are odds on or the percentage, Mike Moustakis gets traded by the deadline. Crash, you're up first. Mm, I, I, do, I think he's a definite trade, trade candidate around the, tra the trade deadline, absolutely. Um, where he goes, maybe St. Louis, I don't know, depending on that situation. But, yeah, um, he's signing a one-year deal with, with a team that's really not going anywhere. I, I definitely see him as a trade option. So you'd say about – uh, like ninety percent sure that he gets moved. Uh, yeah, eighty, ninety, somewhere in there. I mean, nothing's for sure. I mean, it, it also depends on how the Royals are doing too. Which, I mean, I don't see them really doing much. But yeah, they're not going anywhere. Depends. Trust me, I know. It all, it all depends <laughs> on what's going on. <laughs> that's, that's fair, Larry. What do you think? Mustakas going to get moved? I, I think it's got to be a. I, guess, I think it's got to be a pretty high percentage um, that he'll be moved. I mean, I think the Royals are not going to be much of a player this year um, for much of anything. So, yeah, I think it's a, 
I think it's an asset play at this point. Awesome. Dan, what do you think? A hundred percent. He's on the back <laughs> right now. Look how low we signed this guy for. I know. We'll trade we'll trade him to you for a bag of toasted ravioli and Arthur Bryant's barbecue tomorrow if you want. <laughs> so I, I think I mean, it's I think it's a certainty, Tito. I mean, just think think about that. That one year six point five million. That's nothing. That's nothing. Yeah, that's nothing. Just for I mean, by the way, by the by the way, I mean it's not it's just a skosh higher than Logan Morrison's contract, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it really isn't. It's not – this deal is just made because he needs somewhere to sign. That's it. Right. <laughs> he yeah. needs to play and he needs to prove himself. So that's that's as much as he's going to get, and, and and that's, you know, that's going to be on him, you know, and his agent. So, hey, I think it's okay, but let's go ahead and take our first break tonight. Then we'll get into the St. Louis Cardinals. You're listening to the official Redbird Brands podcast. This is episode four, season two. We'll be back in a second. Thanks for joining us in the official Redbird Rants podcast. My name is Tito. I'm joined by Dan, Larry, and Crash STL. Guys, we just got done talking about Mike Moustakis and his deal, but now we're going to switch gears and go ahead and get into the St. Louis Cardinals. And we're going to start with their play as of late. And, Dan, I'm going to let you have the floor for a little bit since you were our on-the-field reporter kind of guy over the last weekend. And, and give us a kind of, uh, you know, a little bit of what's going on with the Cardinals or what did you see of their play? Well, uh, this was my first time going to spring training, and I, it was a really cool experience. Um, just for context for the listeners, uh, my fiance and I went to one game against the Braves, on Saturday at Disney or the ESPN complex stadium, whatever it's called. And then we went and that was the Mycolis game where Mycolis, uh, as was reported, got rocked, but I'm going to comment on that. Um, and then on the Sunday we went and saw Michael Waka face essentially the starting lineup of the world series defending champion Houston Astros. They were stacked and all of their star players were in the game. Um, really without talking about specifics, Larry had asked me a couple of times, you know, what do you think of Mycolas? How does he look in person? His fastball is his best pitch based on what I saw, at least from what he used in that game. That's my caveat. And whenever he relies on that more, he does better. I will say, you know, people are reporting and the fans are saying that he got knocked around in that start against the Braves at Disney. I get it when you look at the stat line, but his stuff was really good, but for that three-run home run, and that three-run home run was a cheap home run. Like, I was shocked when I saw it go out. I was like, oh, this is a this is a fly out. It's not even going to go to the warning track. And the ball just kept carrying. It was insane. And you got to realize it was like 85 degrees, and like the ball was carrying uh, with the wind blowing out to left center. So... You know, I don't I don't think he really deserved the line that he had based on how he pitched. So that's the first thing. In that same game, Luke Gregerson looked dominant. Now, I will say this. The Atlanta Braves, at least right now, are a triple-A team operating at the major league level, and they had their backups in by the time Gregerson was pitching. So grain of salt with him striking out two and having a scoreless inning – 
but the ball was moving like crazy. Um, the other thing that I saw uh, in the second game is the best player on either team was Michael Waka. And I'm counting the Astros when I say that. His fastball. So what you saw when Waka first came up in spring and was impressing everybody was he was throwing like 98, 99 and striking out everybody with the changeup. What you saw here is like a smarter pitcher, a more mature pitcher, who was consistently at 96 miles an hour on his fastball, moving moving it all around the zone, and only using his changeup as a strikeout pitch. And it was really impressive. Um, I know that he gave up the run to Altuve. Again, that was the wind was blowing probably 30 miles an hour out to right field, which, by the way, says the Cardinals probably should have hit more to right field in that game if they wanted to score. Um, but that Altuve home run was a bit of a cheapo, but even if he even if it wasn't a cheapo, it wouldn't fault him for his stuff that day. And then the final comment outside of the games, oh, and y- Yairo Munez, that guy can make any play in the field. He's a bigger guy, but he can make any play in the field. He was really impressive to watch defensively, and he has a very good Johnny Peralta-esque per- approach at the plate. But the energy around the team when they were taking batting practice and warming up and things like that, I got the sense that this team is having a little bit more fun, that they like each other a little bit more than the team last year, and that and that they're really putting in the work. Uh, they're working on things. They're trying things. You know, everything. There are no wasted at bats in batting practice, for example. When the players are running drills around the bases, they're giving full effort. And the last thing I'll say about that is Harrison Bader is freaking fast. That guy, (laughs) whatever you see on TV, just understand that he's faster than that when you're watching it with the naked eye. He is fast. DeYoung tried to, like, kick it up and, like, challenge him in a bit of a run, and Bader, like – gave him a look, and then blew past him like he was the flash. It was insane. Awesome, Dan. Thank you for that report from Jupiter, Florida, and other places, right? And so let's get some more opinion on how the Cardinals have have played as of late. Crash, what have you seen in your observation of the St. Louis Cardinals in the spring game so far? Honestly, I was just telling Tito the other day, I have – seen one game this spring between work and kids and all that. So I sure. saw Watkins start the other day. Um, I didn't really see anything that stood out, but I didn't see anything too negative to really talk about. I mean, what was his, his second start of the spring? And he's still mm-hmm. ironing out the Kings, getting loosened up and all that. Um, from what I gather, it, it was did, – did the Astros have their, their A lineup or kind of a mostly A lineup going? Almost all A, yeah. And, and I mean, what, what – what do you do, two two runs and how many innings? I thought it was one run in three innings. Yeah, I in think three. he gave – yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's not too bad. Like I said, it's his second start, he's still ironing everything out. I mean, what what else can he do right now? I mean, it, he's not getting lit up or anything like that, so he's he just – he's doing what he's doing. And um, I, I agree, he, it's, he seems to be becoming a, a smarter pitcher. He's not just trying to blow everybody away. Uh, I am impressed that he's using that changeup a little bit more. Um, with that, it's all about location. If he can hit his spots and all that, I think he'll be all right. Yeah, and that's and that's the key to Michael Walker's success is his changeup, as as you both have noted here. And another thing, obviously, is his health. 
And, and as long as his shoulder um, stays healthy, I think you will see a return of, you know, the early years of Michael Waka. And, and I think, you know, not using that fastball is going to help him out as well. That puts a lot of strain on that, on that shoulder socket. So I agree. Uh, that, that's going to be huge for Michael Waka moving forward this year. Larry, let's get your opinion. What have, what has, what have you seen from the St. Louis Cardinals so far this spring? Well, I think everybody's got to be excited about Oscar Mercado, right? I mean, I mean, absolutely. He's just an electric, exciting, fun guy who brings the energy level up about three notches. Um, so that's a great, great uh, kind of shape of things to come. Um, I think Harrison Bader has said nobody's going to take this fourth outfield position away from me. Now he's been helped, of course, by Tyler O'Neill, both suffering a little injury and striking out a ton. Um, you know, but I think the confidence is there, and as Dan says, he's really fun to watch. I think we, we're, we're seeing a little um, a little bit of the scary side of, of, you know, what's concerned me, and I wrote about it, you know, about the contract with Paul DeYoung, which is – you know, he's, I believe he's still leading the team in, uh, or no, he's not quite leading. He has uh, almost the most strikeouts. You know, he, he hasn't done a tremendous amount at the plate yet. You know, we'll see, um, you know, but I'm, I'm very happy for him. But I'm, I'm the one who's playing devil's advocate and watching very carefully to see if, um, if this was a wise move. Most people have said to me it doesn't matter much because they didn't pay a lot, but, you know, they were obligated to Paul DeYoung, you know, to the tune of between a half a million and a million dollars total until they signed that contract, and now they're obligated to the tune of $26 million. So you can say it's affordable, but it's still $26 million. So I'm watching very carefully uh, with that guy to see what happens and wish nothing but success for him, but, but there's, a ten, there's a little bit of a tinge of concern on my part there. As far as Waka is concerned, um, you know, I noted the other day on Twitter that I think it's possible, and everybody knows that I'm a Luke Weaver fanatic, but I think it's possible that Carlos Martinez, you know, could be the third best pitch starting pitcher on this team this year, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I think Waka and Weaver, again, if Waka stays healthy, but I think I think those two are going to push Seamart to be as good as he can be, and, you know, especially with Mike Maddox being there. So I'm actually excited um, about the um, the top of the rotation and the competition between those guys. So I see that as good. I agree. Gregerson looked, looked really fine. But, of course, we have some questions about health in the bullpen as well. Yeah, we'll get to that here in just a little bit. I, I want to go back to a comment you made about Paul DeYoung and, and kind of posed this between uh, Crash and myself because he and I over the weekend uh, got into it a little bit about what the lineup of the St. Louis Cardinals should look like versus what it probably will look like. And, and Crash, you and I talked about Paul DeYoung being the backup or the protection for Ozuna rather than Yadier Molina. And part of my reasoning for not putting DeYoung uh, fifth is because of those strikeouts. Are, are you concerned 
about those strikeouts at all in the fifth spot, or is that just part of the growing pain? I, I think it's part of the growing pain. I think, well, I hope eventually those strikeouts will kind of go down. Um, I do kind of worry about with the new contract. I know he didn't get, he didn't make bank and all that, but I wonder if, how much pressure he's going to put on himself. Obviously, we had these stuff before the contract was announced, but you, you kind of got to worry about some of those things. Uh, will he put added pressure on himself? So I don't want to say you're right because it rarely happens, but you could be right. I mean, Yachty hitting fifth, I mean, maybe to start out, maybe let's see how the young Doug does, but if he can cut down on the strikeouts and if he's not putting too much pressure on himself, I would rather him be protecting Osuna instead of Yachty. And I think I would too. But I, the the problem for me is it, it is those strikeouts. It's just you can't have somebody with a high K rate in that position right. when you need a hit, essentially. Yeah, and I understand that. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I posed that question to a ton of people on our Facebook group, and everybody was calling me crazy, and I was like, whatever, I'm not doing this with you guys today. But I do want to go back to your comment about the added pressure. One thing that strikes, you know, the same thing, kind of the same mentality with that added pressure is Colton Wong. After he received his extension, he really, really found it hard to find some playing time, and he got into a really big rut. Are you afraid that that crash, are you afraid that Paul DeYoung might get into that same kind of feeling? Is that what you're kind of alluding to? I... They're two different players to me. I I think Wong, he, I don't I don't know the exact words. I, I need to put this in without being disrespectful. He he needs that extra attaboy. He needs that extra that extra pat on the butt. I I don't think the young is like that. Um, Wong, I think a lot of Wong's deal is just confidence. I think he doubts himself a lot. He he does. He just wants to do good, and you can't can't really blame him for that. But I I think it's a lot of mental issues with Wong. Okay. Guys, uh, Dan, Larry, do you guys get that feeling that maybe Paul DeYoung is, could head down a similar path as Colton Wong did with that extension? Uh, okay. Um, well, I'm not going to be as nice as Crash. And by the way, I love Colton Wong more than most people. Um, so I, I, I actually I feel like my – hate-love relationship with Colton Wong piece last year really got Colton going, and then he had a great year. So I'm going to take credit for that. <laughs> that said, Colton has the mental fortitude of a dead fish, okay? The the guy just he, – he, Crash, you were exactly right. He's like the stereotypical millennial. You, he needs a pat on the back. He needs a attaboy or, hey, you're doing a good job. And he really needs to perform well for him to believe it. I don't think the young is like that. Um, uh, I just think the guy is, he's just kind of cool and slick. Not that he doesn't put pressure on himself, but I, I think that's why he could come up as a relative unknown last year and perform at a high level because the guy just, he has one mode and it's it's intense focus. I think that's why the Cardinals like him and that he's he, he will be successful. And, and that's that's my take on it, Larry. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're very different uh, temperament-wise, and I agree with everything that's been said. Um, you know, I, I just, I just, you know, I, you know, the article I wrote was comparing, you know, DeYoung to Trevor Story, and I'm just hoping 
hoping, hoping that, you know, he can uh, temper his strike zone selection and his discipline at the plate. You know, Story zoomed up close to 200 strikeouts last year, and I just really don't want to see that happen with DeYoung. I don't think it'll be from stress or exertion. I just think it's approach, um, and, and, and I hope he can improve his approach um, and that there's uh, somebody, you know, who can work with him from a technical perspective on the team. I don't know who that will be. Um, certainly isn't John Mabry. Um, to um, to help him with his um, his approach and make him a little bit more selective hitter. Yeah, and and I, I'm wondering as he as he matures as a player, you know, we've seen him be slot in the three hole, and I'm not saying that he is Matt Carpenter can only hit in one spot. But a lot of people are saying, you know, if he did so well there, why would you, why would you move him? And so that's another a question that we can ask ourselves a little later. Um, but that's something to keep in mind moving forward in the season is if he starts to struggle and Matheny still needs to put him in the lineup, maybe move, shifting him up a little bit might add some extra flair. Because remember, DeYoung is a, is a really, really good fastball hitter. And when you have somebody like Marcelo Zuna hitting behind you, you're probably going to see a lot more fastballs than normal. And that could play into the factors of, of moving the young up in the lineup. Um, and, and that is also why I would also keep him below Yachty as well, uh, because typically those people will – Six, seven, eight will probably see more fastballs than they will curveballs um, to disrupt some timing uh, with anything. And plus, the uh, Young's a, a, a gap hitter, and they need to move Yadi. <laughs> obviously, because Yadi's not the uh, the fastest of the, of the of the players. So, Cito, guys, Cito, let, let me ask you yeah, something about what's that. Up? Yeah, go ahead. I don't know why. No, all all this is going to change when Matt Carpenter can't start the season in the starting lineup because his shoulder and back are that of Benjamin Button. But uh, this, so this will all change. But why is nobody talking about DeYoung in the number two spot? And I know no one on this call will agree with me, but I'm I'm intrigued by DeYoung batting second and Tommy Pham batting third. I'm I'm a, I'm of the ilk that says your best player should bat third, and the guy who's your best fastball hitter should hit second. I think DeYoung's probably one of the best fastball hitters on the team, and I think Tommy Pham is the best player on the team uh, all around offensively if he can if he can do what he did last year. Um, and then Ozuna in cleanup to drive everybody in. If I honestly, gonna, yeah, if I'm sorry. Go ahead. Moved, if some, one final thought. If someone's going to be moved down, I think it should be Dex. I think Dex should hit lower in the lineup. If you bat Dex fourth or fifth, I mean, then he's going to be leading off the innings a lot. And you essentially have a second leadoff guy in the middle of your lineup. That's that's compelling to me. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, and it's not. And I'll tell you, again, I'm, this is this is going to sound like the broken record, but it's, it, it all has to do with the strikeouts. You can't afford to 
to uh, you know to pretty much put yourself in a hole in the first inning you know within the first two batters. Not not saying that he's going to strike out all the time, but if he's if his K rate is so egregious, there's no sense in putting him in the second hole. So if he's hitting fine, then that's not a big deal. I and I would say, hey, that's not a bad idea. But it seems like he's still not quite there, and he's still not being as selective as you want him to be. And that's probably why you wouldn't see him any lower. Now, as for as for Dexter hitting fifth in the lineup, yes, we saw him hit for more power. He tied his uh, career in home runs or career season in home runs last year with 17. But the problem with Dexter Fowler is it, it's not so much um, him batting that way. It's it's lineup construction. You have to you have to build your lineup on the way that it's supposed to succeed, or it gives it maximizes your success. And batting Dexter fifth, I don't think really maximizes that potential for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, Crash, what do you think of uh, Dan's comments? I think a lot of the lineup options. It, it really depends on how Matt Carpenter does. I mean, right. you, you got him penciled in third. At the moment, if he fails, you move him back up. Maybe you hit him second. It, it's all revol- they're revolving it around uh, Matt Carpenter. Uh, I kind of like Osuna hitting third, but you can't go wrong with Sam either. I think those are going to be your two most productive hitters on the team. I, I think they're pretty legit. Um, we kind of go back to Wong a little bit. He has the skill set to lead off. It's just the mentality and the pressure that he puts on himself. If if he can overcome all those hurdles, I think he would be the, the perfect leadoff man on this team. And I don't disagree with you about Wong. I think everybody kind of expected him to be the leadoff hitter when he initially came up. And I don't. And, think and, and the they... sample size numbers, he, he has not done bad leading off. Right. And, and, and that, again, yeah, everybody expected him to do it. It's just he struggled, and then obviously – the conundrum that is Matt Carpenter who can't hit apparently anywhere else than leadoff um, only hits in the leadoff spot consistently. Um, so that, I, there's that's so a narrative of going to carp. <laughs> right, right. Uh, <laughs> there's so many factors playing into this. Larry, uh, I want to get your thoughts on, on Dan's comments before we take our second break. Uh, totally against Tijong in the, in the two hole. Um, just, just don't like the strikeouts there at all. I, really I, like. I knew you would be the voice of dissension on this idea. <laughs> hey, I said the same thing. That's probably why you brought it up. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're both against love, me. Crash is the only reasonable him. person on the call. You just <laughs> for now. I, I love. I love having. Um, I love having the two best hitters in in uh, in Fam and Ozuna uh, batting in the top three. I like Dex in the in the one hole. Um, my biggest concern uh, with DeYoung, I'd have him somewhere in the in the in the five or six hole. I would push Yachty down. And then one thing I brought up the other day that I really think is intriguing is if Colton's showing all this speed, you know, do you really want to waste it in the eight hole where he where he can't run a lot of the time? Um, I know it's heresy to suggest dropping Yachty down to the eight hole, but you know that's probably what I would do with this with this lineup. Um, keep Jerko in the middle, keep DeYoung in the lower middle, probably push Wong up to seventh. 
and push Yachty to the eighth hole. That's what I would do. It's not only heresy, Larry, but it's just downright crazy to even suggest that. And and I don't think Yachty or Molina, um, because you know he he will have some saying power, uh, would ever allow him to himself to bat as low as. Oh, I eight. agree. It won't happen. Yeah, it it won't happen because Mike Matheny Matheny will also say, "Yeah, I'm not going to bat you set or eight at all." But it's just that that is something that will never happen until you know he's gone. I agree. You're just like speed ass that, in my opinion, is all. And I and I agree, but but Yadier but Yadier Molina also is while he yes he is up in age, I still think. He is a productive player. I mean, he had the most hits as a catcher last year. I think a lot of people forget about that, um, and they only see the negative aspect of Yachty because he uh, tends to swing at the first pitch and waste his at-bat, which, you know, we can get into on another day. Uh, but that's there's no way that Yachty or Molina bats lower than six in the lineup. It won't happen. Yeah, you're right. It won't happen. Yeah. So let's go ahead and take our second break. You're listening to the official Redbird Rants podcast. This is episode four, season two. Stick with us. Okay, and welcome back. We are joined by Dan, Larry, and Crash STL. I'm your host, Tito Rivera. You are listening to the official Redbird Rants podcast, episode four, season two. We just had a really good discussion on the St. Louis Cardinals play as of late. We even got into some of the Paul DeYoung contract, and we talked a little bit about the St. Louis Cardinals lineup. But, but guys, this is where the issues start to come in, and we're talking about injuries. We've had injuries to Luke Gregerson, Matt Carpenter, Jose Martinez, although obviously Martinez got in the game today and hit a nice home run to right field, which he seems to do often. Um, Let's start with Luke Gregerson because I believe – outside of Matt Carpenter, it will be the most important issue moving forward in this spring. He has a slight oblique strain or some oblique discomfort. Crash, who's the closer if he's down? Leon. Is that that straight up? You're you're good with that? I think – yeah, to start up the season at least, I would I would go with Leon or uh, even give Tui a shot. Other than that, I I don't see a whole lot of options right now to close. Yeah, and and definitely Leon got into the game today and he has looked fantastic this spring. So that's definitely a worthy candidate, and so has Tui actually. Uh, Dan, who's the closer if Luke Gregerson goes down? You saw it today. Tyler Lyons is the closer. <laughs> Um, Larry and maybe everybody else knew I was going to say that. Um, I, I actually don't believe that Tyler, Tyler Lyons should be the closer. I like him in the eighth inning too much. I think uh, Sam Tuivailala should be the closer, but that's not going to happen. Uh, they're never going to trust him with that role unless they just have no other choice. So it, it seems like anyway. Uh, I'm, I'll say it again, even though I've said it a bunch of times on this and in writing, the spin rate that Tyler Lyons has on his slider makes his slider one of the nastiest pitches uh, of any pitcher uh, in the entire league. A la Clayton Kershaw's curveball, it's up there 
as far as effectiveness and chase rate on it and things like that. Um, so I like the different look from the left side. Uh, it's it's rare, and I think it's very effective, especially in the NL Central whenever you're going to have to face a guy like Anthony Rizzo of the Cubs a lot of times. You're going to have to face a Christian Yelich uh, or an Eric Thames or, you know, those guys on the Brewers in the ninth inning of a tight game. I, I like my chances with my lefty who who used to be a starter, so he has more than two pitches and can get righties out as well. Um, I, I really like Lyons in the role. I hope he gets a shot to at least show us what he can do in that role. And he had a really good second half of the year last year. And, I mean, and by really good, uh, an absolutely fantastic second half of 2017. Larry, Gregerson's down. Who's your closer? I don't think. I don't think there'll be a I don't think there'll be a stated closer if Gregerson's down. I think you'll see audition slash bullpen by committee slash uh, situational matchup much more than you would if Gregerson were healthy. Um, you know, I still think you know even with Gregerson as the closer, you know, I still think after a couple of days of outings, you know, there'll have to be somebody who steps up in that ninth role, in that ninth inning role you know, to keep um, the main guy healthy. Um, and even in that situation, we'd see, I, I think, one of these three guys that Crash and Dan have described, um, you know, as, as possibilities. So, I mean, I think, I think with Gregerson out, I think it's entirely possible you'd see each of these guys get, um, get a chance. And, and, in fact, like I said, more matchups. So if you're in the ninth inning, you know, and and Chewy starts the inning, but then there are two tough lefties coming up. I could easily see the switch to Lyon um, to get him out, uh, and then maybe even a switch back if there's a tough righty. Yeah, and this goes back to a little bit of what we saw last year, just a bunch of different guys being thrown into roles. And, and you know, you have those Brett Cecil comments where nobody knows their role, do you crash fear that that could come back and, and play a factor in the bullpen again for 2018? I, can you guys give me a quick second? Pass, catch me on the next sure. one. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no problem. Dan, Brett Cecil's comments from yes, you know, from last year about nobody knowing their role, getting kind of confused with that. Do you think that could potentially play a factor in 2018? You guys who may know this better than me might have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Stone Cold Steve Austin said it best as to what Brett Cecil thinks, and it's you need to shut the hell up. <laughs> so, sorry about that. But, uh, you know, Brett Cecil needs to just go out and try to focus on pitching uh, one inning without screwing everything up. I think the idea of people needing uh, defined roles – is just a, such a cop-out for poor performance. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. Dude, you're a major league pitcher. Like, you're going to do whatever you're told when you're told to do it. Just be ready for everything. You're a bullpen guy. You should be ready, just as ready in the fifth inning as you could be in the ninth inning to close out a tight game. And so I, I hate this narrative that's created that, oh, he doesn't, he's not the eighth inning guy. And frankly, I'd rather people not have defined roles because when people do have defined roles, you know what happens? Mike they get complacent. 
they get complacent, and Mike Matheny goes Dusty Baker on their arms, man. The Kevin Seacrest <laughs> could barely get a deal because Mike Matheny destroyed his arm and shoulder for by overusing him because he was the eighth-inning guy for a period of time. So we have so many capable – our bullpen is actually really, really good, I think, and we have a lot of very capable dudes out there, both from the left side and the right side. And so I think – Bullpen by committee, I think Larry's probably right, even though he, again, did not really answer the question. Um, never do. He never does. Um, I think that's probably a good thing, given the end capabilities of Matheny. Now, if you told me that Maddox was managing the bullpen decisions more, I, w- I would maybe be more inclined to say the defined roles are a good idea, Tito, but I- I'm not convinced that that's the case. So I, I actually don't – I'm not worried about undefined roles, personally. Yeah, Larry. Larry has a Larry has a way of not answering questions, just like Mo has a way of uh, tiptoeing transparency in the in the downright truth. Am I right, Larry? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, Mo Mo has the ability to tell you one thing, and he means a completely different thing. But but Larry, what do you make? Of Dan's comments, what, what's your thoughts on that? You know, <laughs> Matheny does burn out pitchers, man. I mean, it, 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 it's a scary thing, and I think I think Maddox will do better. I also wonder if the Cardinals will. I'm going to go in that direction of not answering again, but answering a totally different question. I wonder if the Cardinals and some other teams are going to go more in the in the direction of what. The Dodgers did really, I thought, brilliantly last year, which was which was use the 10-day DL to to kind of uh, ease the burden on on some of their pitchers and 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 spread the work among more pitchers. And of course, the Memphis shuttle too, right? For the for the pitchers who don't um, who still have options left, I think I think there's some really creative ways to spread the work in that regard. Now, going back to the question of set roles. Yeah, I can't answer the question. Um, I, I, I think I think most teams early in the season don't have fully set roles beyond the closer and maybe the eighth inning guy, and they're trying to get a feel for who those guys are going to be. I, I think you're going to see that here a lot. Um, I think Maddox will take more control of that uh, this year. I think my I guess so. is that Messini – Matheny's been told that Maddox needs to get more control of that this year. So, so, but I think we'll I think we'll see experimentation to see who can handle those roles and take which burdens during the during the game. Um, you know, we haven't talked about some of the other guys like John Brebbia. Brebbia pitched admirably. You know, is he going to be a guy who, you know, is on the team all year, or is he going to shuttle back and forth between here and Memphis? What about Matt Bowman? who two years ago was a godsend. Last year, you know, he reverted a little bit. Um, I think we'll see experimentation, and then I think come June, July, we'll see it round out into um, into more defined roles. And, of course, we'll see Alex Reyes coming back, and we don't know quite where he's going to fit in. Sure. So I'll ask just one last question about the closer issues before we get into the, the final topic, and I know Crash is – is dying to get to this, but if Gregerson is out indefinitely, 
what are the chances the Cardinals take a look at Holland again? Dan? I hope they do. You guys know that I've been beating this drum for a while. And what happens at this time of year and every day into the future is the price drops. The issue is I don't really want to, with with how well I've seen some of the guys pitch this spring, I don't really want to give up the draft pick and the international slot money that is required to sign Holland. So, I mean, if you can get him on a one-year $6.5 million deal, for example, I think you've got to take that and just eat the slot bonus and the draft pick. But outside of a one-year deal, I don't see the Cardinals taking a run at him. I don't know. Crash, what do you think? The one-year deal would sound perfect to me, but I would – would he would he be accepting of that? When we go back to the Probably to the current not. free agent class. What what what's everybody looking for? Did do they get desperate and do what Mustakis just did and do a one year deal? It, it depends on his side too. But I, if I were Mo, I would definitely be touching base with him because that's one of the biggest needs this team has right now. Yeah, and I actually mentioned Holland getting a one year deal in a in an earlier piece and having a mutual option. Um, so that's definitely something. Uh, but I also think besides the years, I think it's the amount of money that Holland will want to negotiate with. And I can't see him, you know, getting more than $10 million. And if they weren't going to go after Nicasio, who got a two-year $17 million deal. Um, that's the one I wanted. Yeah, and I, I'd be very hard-pressed to see the Cardinals make that kind of an offer to Holland. So, uh, Larry, last but not least, um, what do you think? Holland, yes or no? Um, I want him. Uh, I want him for a two-year deal, and I think there's very little chance of it happening. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with both of you, or pretty much everybody. I, I think everybody would like to see him on the Cardinals, but it's not going to happen, um, and there's a lot of different factors going into that. Okay, guys, we've got about close to – of, what, seven minutes here. We're going to talk about Matt Carpenter, but I'm going to give the floor to Crash because I know he's been dying to talk about <laughs> Matt Carpenter and his latest string of in, uh, injuries. So, Crash, you've got the floor. What do you got for us? I don't even know where to begin. Um, I, obviously, today the news came out about his shoulder surgery. My question is, is that related to his back? Is he overcompensating? Is he be doing too much other activities other than swinging golf clubs with Jordan Speed, jumping out of boxes, trying to scare people. What exactly is going on? We were told all winter that he was he was good to go, everything should be fine. We we're told what last week if there were real games going on, he would be playing. Now he he can't. <laughs> He's having issues with his shoulder, so that that affects the uh, the whole super utility player bouncing all over the place. I I don't know. You guys have any answers? Because I, I'm kind of at a loss. I, sometimes I feel like we're not being told the, the complete truth here. Right, and that's my point, Larry. Transparency, transparency versus the uh, complete truth from Mo. So, Larry, what do you make of the carpenter issues, and, and what's really going on? You know, I don't, I don't know, and I, you know, I've debated this with friends about whether the Cardinals are more opaque about these things than other teams or if it's just the way that baseball is these days, I honestly don't have a clue. I, I'm not 
particularly worried about it because I think Jose Martinez is going to be just fine. Um, I'm, I'm actually glad that they're saying that when Carpenter's healthy, he's going to stay at first base because, as you guys know, I'm much more of a Jed Jerko fan than most of you. Um, and I think somebody that this affects kind of indirectly, which is interesting, is Greg Garcia. You know, Dan talked about um, Munoz looking so strong this spring, and I totally agree, you know. And, um, but I think, I think with Carpenter potentially on the shelf, I don't think they're going to risk, you know, not having a, um, another left-handed bat on the bench. So in a, in a weird, indirect way, I think, even though I think Gar- Garcia was probably getting the slot anyway, I, I, I think it does kind of help Garcia's cause with Carpenter being iffy. But, but I, do th- I do think it just stinks. I think this, this whole notion of, oh, he's fine, then, oh, he's going to be out a few days, then, oh, he may be ready, you know, uh, for two weeks of games before opening day. You know, it just smells of, 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 of hearing more news a week from now that he's going to start the season on the DL, and it, it just it's discomforting, and we've seen this kind of pattern before. And I don't know, Dan, do you think we're different than other teams, or do you think this is – just the MO that Major League Baseball does with these kinds of things. Um, I, I I think the player uh, has a lot to do with this. I think Carp himself has an issue with being forthcoming with how he's feeling at all times. And I think the team respects the confidentiality uh, of when he tells them that he's not feeling quite like it appears. That said, um, as I think you guys would agree, Matt Carpenter is either the most important player on this team or one of the most important players on this team. If for no other reason, than he's the most capable left-handed hitter that we have on the entire team. Um, And he's one of few. And he's one of the biggest sources of power for this team. Uh, Outside of Ozuna and arguably DeYoung, it's really Carpenter and then Tommy Pham for power. So he's so important. I'm worried because if he was good enough to go, he would probably go. And so when you're not even seeing him pinch hit in a spring training game just to get a look at the pitcher, he's not even going in and doing that thing we saw where he wasn't going to swing the bat. He was just going to see pitches to, like, reset his batting eye. He's not even doing that. And so I'm really concerned. I'm worried about his shoulder. And what I don't want to happen is I don't want Matt Carpenter taking away at-bats from Jose Martinez if he's hurt, if he's playing hurt. And we're getting the Matt Carpenter whose slugging went way down at the end of last year, who was still a great on-base guy. But as many of us talked about and wrote about last year, that's sort of inoculated by the fact that he runs the bases like a two-legged turtle running in a circle. Um, so, you know, I'm worried about it. I, I lost track of what the question even was, but I'm really concerned with Matt Carpenter's health. I hope, because I really like Matt Carpenter, that he's healthy and can play healthy. And if he's not, I hope he goes on the DL and gets better so we have a healthy Matt Carpenter at some point in the season. I think you brought up a very good point with that. There's a yeah. there's a difference between playing injured and playing with just minor aches and pains and all that. He has I totally agree one hundred percent. He has to be more honest. And it it's it's 
it may not be just up to Mike Matheny. He's gonna he's gonna back up Carpenter. He's gonna do if if he says he's good to go, he's he's gonna be in there. So uh, somebody may have to step in with with this decision making with Carp. And, and I think one thing that's really interesting that Dan you kind of hinted at or or kind of scratched the surface is is, uh, is what as fans are we expecting at this point? If he's not good to go, then just say it. Just say that he's not going to play, and we're going to be okay with that. But if you tell me, as Crash said last week, hey, he's going to see games, oh, but then all of a sudden he doesn't play, he's still hurt, and then he has a shoulder injury. At this point, I would rather them just say, I'm shutting you down for the rest of spring, get healthy, be ready for opening day. That's all I care about. And, and you know what? I will take a, a crappy Matt Carpenter for the first 10 games, 15 games of the season and get him right at the plate then than having him injured in the very beginning and losing him midway through the year. That is the worst thing that could happen to the Cardinals. And, and I'm sure you guys would probably agree somewhat with that. But Matt Carpenter is so you know, key to this team, you know, we talked about the lineup and stuff like that. He has to be healthy. Or or, or am I overanalyzing this? Crash, what do you think? Well, I'm on the same page with you. I really can't add to that. I, I agree 100%. Dan, what do you think? Uh, I, I agree with you, Tito. And the only thing I'll add is, that this will not be up to Matheny if Mo catches wind of this. Mo will put him on the DL if Mo thinks that he's not perf- They are really high on Jose Martinez, really, really high. And if Carpenter is hurt to where he can't perform, let's call it above the 80% level, he's going on the DL. I'm telling you right now, Mike Matheny's not going to have a damn thing to say about it. Mo will put him on the DL at least for a couple weeks to get him right. And I would much rather have that and have, or even have him struggle a little bit when he comes back as long as he's healthy. That, that's what I really want because he's critical to this team having any shot. Larry, your final thoughts, and then we're going to wrap it up. I'll be the naysayer as always. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think it's going to make a major um, impact on the team one way or the other. If Carp is in the lineup, I think the lineup will be different if he's not in it. I think Jose's not going to get on base as much, but I think Jose's going to hit for more power than Carp. So I think you see a little bit different look with the team, but I think the team, the, I think the lineup will be perfectly fine uh, with with Carp uh, out of it. So I would I would err on the side of giving Carp absolutely as much rest as necessary to get right and not worry about it in the meantime. Of course. Larry with the voice of dissension as always. Well, guys, we are going to wrap it up here. I want to thank each and every one of you, so Dan, Larry, and Crash, for being on tonight's show. And I want to thank the listeners and our readers for going to RedRoadBrands.com and looking at our stuff and giving us a chance to fill their day with some Cardinals baseball. So for the guys and the podcast crew, I'm Tito. I'll see you next time, next Thursday, 9 p.m. Central Time. Let's go cards. Go cards. Thanks, guys.